Hey everyone, it's Pastor Micah, lead pastor here at High Praise Crestview. I want to say thank you for choosing to listen to today's podcast. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from today and go connect with us on social media as well. My prayer is that as you listen to this message, you're encouraged, blessed, and transformed by the power of the Word of God. Now open your heart and get ready to receive what God wants to speak to you today. ready for the word of God today. Amen. I'm ready for the word of God today. Bless God. Uh, We have been in a series uh, uh, called It's Me. Hi. Hi. There you go. Hi. Working on the I in relationships. February is the love month, right? And so we've been talking about relationships and uh, how we can get better in relationships. Pastor Chelsea shared an incredible word uh, last week. Amen. It was really great. It's an incredible teaching to help us grow in how to work in our relationships with just everyday people, with friendships that we have, and different things like that. The first week, we really talked about our relationship with the Lord and how vital and important that is. And today, I, I want to talk a little bit. Now, now I want you to listen this morning. Uh, you know, Jesus said, those that have ears to hear, let them hear. So I want you to know, just, I, I'm going to be speaking a lot on marriage this morning, but I want you to know that, listen to me, just because you're not married does not mean this message is not for you, okay? There are still things that you can receive from the word of God and from this message um, today. There are some things that I don't want you to receive, and you'll understand that in just a little bit, and at least not right now, okay? Don't, let's not be doers of the word right now. But, but listen, there's going to be some, we're going to talk about various different things in marriages and relationships, and whether you're not married yet and looking to get married, or maybe you decided to be single, no matter what, there are going to be things in this message that, I can, that you can pull from and say, I can apply this in my life, okay? So please, what I'm encouraging you right now is this. Just because you don't need it right now, these words can be something that arm you for your future, amen? So don't turn out the word, tune out the word just because it doesn't apply to you right now. Now, with that said, this is, you're probably, now your ears are going to perk up a little bit because the name and title of our message is this today, I Gotta Get Naked. (laughs) Some of you what? Yeah. Only look at your spouse and say, I gotta get naked, okay? I'm gonna clarify that, all right? But we're gonna talk a little bit about this today. We turn over your Bibles to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, I'm gonna read this real quickly. I gotta get naked. Not right now, but, you know, uh, Psalm 127, verse 1, we're gonna read first, okay? And I promise you, this is not all about sex this morning. I will go ahead and give you a disclaimer. We are going to talk about that this morning. So if there are any kids in the room that maybe your parents, you don't feel comfortable with your, we're not going to go into deep detail, but they can go to the kids ministry if they need to. Okay. Uh, Psalm 127, one says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now verse three, children are a heritage from the Lord offspring, a reward from him. Verse 4, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Amen? Now, I want you to hear this this morning. This scripture, a lot of times in church, and I know I've preached this, and I'm not saying it's wrong, so please don't misunderstand me today. But what I am saying is a lot of times we've preached and used this scripture, but we've only used verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And we start talking about our church. And our churches, unless the Lord builds this church, we're laboring in vain. I believe that's true. 
But if you actually read the context that the psalmist is writing in, that's not the context the psalmist is writing in. The context that the psalmist is writing in here is he's actually talking about families and marriages. That's why he says in verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. He's talking about family, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, right? He's talking about families being together, marriages, and then the fruit of marriages. That means this, families are important to God, amen? I'm going to say it again. Strong families are important to God. The psalmist is talking about families. I want to break this down, the scripture down just a little bit real quickly because I got a lot of notes today. We're going to try to get through all of it because I can't preach again next week. The word builds there. I've shared this before, but the word builds, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, is actually the Greek word baunau. It's kind of like you're trying to say banana, but like banana, you know, like minions. And it says, actually means to, it does mean to establish or build a family. And the word house there is baith. So it's like, hey, you want to take a baith? Like, so think about it that way, right? It, which actually means home or house containing a family, household or family. It's confirmed here that the psalmist is actually talking about families here. So if we read it in that context, it actually says this, unless the Lord builds and establishes your family, you are building or establishing your family in vain. The vain there is the Greek word shav, which means this, emptiness or nothingness. That means you are building your family to be empty and nothing. I want my family and my marriage to have purpose, which is part of our points a little bit later. But every marriage and every family should have purpose. And let me go on even further. Every person should have purpose purpose. Even if you're a single household and you're the only person in your home, or maybe you're a single mother or single father, your family should have purpose. You have purpose. If you dwell in a place, guess what? You have purpose. But we, the, the way to have purpose is to build our homes on the Lord. Now, I, I want you to hear, hear, hear this out. Because the scripture says, unless the Lord builds the house, labor's labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house. And we look at it and we go, unless the Lord builds the house, which means I can sit back on my blessed assurance and never talk to my children about anything that's going wrong. I never have to deal with spats and issues that are going on in my marriage, things like that. Because God, you just work it out. If anybody's been married in this room for any amount of time or has kids, you know that's not true. Right? You have to deal with things. What the scripture is admonishing us here is this. Whatever we do, whenever we're dealing with those things, let it be done in accordance to the word of God. That we should always know what God wants to do in our families, that he desires, listen to me, he desires unity. He desires love to abound in homes. He desires for there to be mercy, the same mercy that you receive from Jesus. Guess what? He wants to give to your kids. And listen to me, I know it's hard. I, I, listen, I, I want you to hear me today. I don't preach from a place of perfection. If you think I'm perfect, you're wrong. <laughs> hate, to, hate to break it down. I am not. My wife will agree with me and confirm this. I am not perfect. I'm not the perfect husband. I am not the perfect father. But you know what? I do know what the word of God says, and I'm striving to do exactly what it says to do. Okay? So I say that to say this, that you, the same mercy and the same grace that you desired for you, for God to have for you, you should show forth to your loved ones, to your, to your husband, to your wife, to your children, to those that are around you. That is part of building our house on the Lord. He is our great example. And I believe you can search high and low in the scripture and find things to do as parents, as fathers, as mothers. There's plenty of things that we can find in the scripture on how to build our home. Think about it like this. 
God is the contractor, right? He gives us his words, which are the blueprint, and we're the workers. Put it to you like that. Unless the Lord builds the house, there's labor in vain. You, legally, you can't build a house without a general contractor, right? Any builder people know what I'm talking about in this room? You can't, you can't just go build a home inside the city limits without having a contractor, a general contractor, and, and going through plans and processes and all these different things. You need these things. And so God is our general contractor. He gives us the blueprints of his word, and then now we are workers to work to establish our homes in the way in accordance to the word of God. So when we look at all of this, let's rewind now. We know that God wants to build families. He loves families. He established families. And let's look at how he established families, okay? So when we look over in, in Genesis, we see that God creates Adam and Eve, right? And we see that that is the first marriage that he creates, and he creates a relationship. I want you to hear this today. God does not make anything he doesn't value. If you think that your family is valueless, you have a wrong perspective of your family. God does not create anything he does not value. God created Adam for a relationship. Think about this. God creates everything. He goes, nope, I need, I'm going to create a man to be here on the earth. Now there's relationship. We talked about this thing a little bit in the first week where it talks about how uh, uh, Adam knew God whenever he would walk in the garden. So he knew he was familiar whenever w- with God walking in the garden with him, which means this. There was an established relationship between God and Adam, which means that God desired relationship with Adam. But listen, then he creates Eve. So man, so the same, now God and man have relationship, but then he sees, he goes, man needs a relationship because the giraffes aren't going to do it. The rhinos aren't going to do it. There's no, there's no creature that is fit for man. So I have to create something. I'm just going to say even better. Amen, man. So John and Kevin are on the right team today. You other men, I'm going to pray for you whenever you go home. Okay. He creates relationship and he starts a family there, Adam and Eve. Strong families are the byproduct of those that have a strong relationship with the Lord and understand his values. My dad has always said it like this. For those of you that maybe you're not in a relationship right now, or maybe you are, this goes once again, this is one of those across the board statements. He says this in, his, in every single marriage that he's ever done that I've heard him do. He says this, marriages don't succeed by finding the right person, but rather by being the right person. Your marriage is not going to succeed because you found the one. Because I'm going to let, I'm not a hopeless romantic in this way, okay? Some of y'all believe there is one person on God's green earth for you. And if you don't find that one person, it's like finding a needle in the haystack. And if you don't find that one person, everything's messed up. Listen to me. There has been too many times that people have missed judged who to marry or there's been infidelity or different things like that and divorces have taken place to even for that even to be a factor any longer just imagine all the different anyways we don't have time to talk about this morning but anyways the bottom line is this i believe that god does have one for you but maybe not the one for you if that makes sense so what i'm saying is you finding the one is not going to fix you Working on the iron relationships. You can have the best wife in the world, but if you're a lazy, no good, butt-sitting, on-the-couch-all-the-time person, guess what? Your marriage is going to stink. Or she's going to be quiet, and it's still going to stink. Huh? Same thing you said the other way. Wives, 
If you're disrespectful to your husband all the time, nagging him, cussing him out, all these different things, and if he does one thing wrong, shame and condemnation, shame, 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 right? No, listen, your marriage is going to stink. It's not going to be good. How do marriages get good? Be the right person. Be the person you want your spouse to be for you. Love them the way, don't. We have our niece staying with us right now. And I love her very much. She asked me last night, though, she goes, Uncle Micah, how do you feel being the woman of the house? And I said, we laugh about it, right? I said, I'm not the woman of the house. I just love my wife and treat her the way that I want her to treat me. I love her. I care about our family. So, yeah. I make stuff. I do things. I'm, I, I, made, I made her a sandwich. What happened? You know, the joke is, lady, go make me a sandwich. No, it's Micah, make me a sandwich. And when she asked something of me, you know what? Nine times out of ten, I'm like, okay, I get it. Nope, all right. You, one of the reasons I do that is because whenever I'm in the time where I feel lazy and I want her to help me, you know what I do? Babe, can you go grab me this real quickly? And guess what? She will be more likely to reciprocate the action if I put forth the action first. And some of us go, wow, that really makes sense. Then why haven't you been doing it? <laughs> like, huh? Well, I just want, I, I want, I, uh, we'll talk about this more in a minute. Your marriage will never be more healthy than you are, though. Marrying someone doesn't fix your issue. If anything, it exasperates your issues. Any married folk in here know what I'm talking about. You got married, and all of a sudden, all your issues were much bigger than what you thought they were. And so I encourage us to work on ourselves even before we get into that marriage relationship as much as we can. Because listen, if you aren't secure in who you are, you won't be secure in who you two are together. You need to work on you and being naked before God before you can try to get naked with someone else. Praise God. When he creates Adam and Eve, he creates the first family and he made them this way. You see in Proverbs 18.22, you don't have to turn there. It says, it says he who finds a wife finds a what man? Oh, that's right. Once again, Mr. Newland's now on the team too. I'm still praying for some of you guys. Whew. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Amen. How many men believe that your wife is a good thing? Bless God. Then it, it, also, then it goes on. It says it's about man. It says this. And the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. We're just things. We were made. Cool. Children, it says that children are a gift from the Lord. So women are a good thing, children are a gift, and men, we're just men. Matter of fact, let me go one further. Whenever God creates man and he's there alone in the garden, he looks at it, and it's the first time ever, God goes, oh no. It says, this is not okay. This guy is by himself out there. He needs help. What do we do? And he creates another being, and he creates, from the, from the prime rib of man, creates a beautiful specimen. And the Bible says that he named him, uh, that is named woman. And uh, for any of you that have been here before, I've made this joke before, the reason that it was woman is because Adam woke up and went, whoa, man! Because they were naked. And um, yeah, that's what happened. So <laughs> Genesis 2, 24 says this, after it says, I guess let me go back to 23. You don't turn there, but Genesis 2, 23, you can write it down. It says this. 
This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man. That's what, that's what Adam said. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. That is a, I want, I want to just go and let this out here. That is a biblical definition of how, what God honors marriage to be. What God honors marriage to be. Okay? Now, I'll pref- I want to clarify it with this. There is no condemnation in this church for somebody that is dealing with same-sex attraction or maybe in uh, some sort of marriage that is defined by the state. But I want to be clear what we believe here at High Praise. We love those people. Not because, not, not because we have to, but because they're a person made by God and God doesn't create anything he doesn't value. Okay? But what I am saying is this, as far as our church goes, this is what we believe to be the biblical definition of marriage and what we believe that God honors as marriage. Amen. However, we will love anyone who walks into this church and care for them. You know what? I'm going to go there this morning. We'll talk about it another time. But we're going to, this, this is the biblical definition of marriage. It goes on to say they became one flesh. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked. And it says what? They felt no shame. The first family he creates, the first marriage he blesses, he makes them naked. And it goes, one of the, it goes on to say they felt no shame. One of the biggest things that plugs marriages today is we refuse to be nude. We refuse to be naked in front of each other. And I'm not talking about just naked for knowing. You know, I'm talking about biblical definition of knowing. I'm not talking about naked for knowing. I'm talking about naked spirit, soul, body, everything. You can see it all, everything. All my imperfections, all my blemishes, my problems, my struggles, my issues. You know, one of the reasons you, you have a spouse is because it, the Bible says that, that the wife is the helpmate. And you know what? Listen, she's there to help me, make me better, to help to help, understand the way I say this, because marriage has a funny way of doing this, to bring out the worst in you, but then forth from the worst to bring out the best in you. To refine you, to help you become who God's called you to be. Listen, if you're in a marriage and you've never had an argument, you're better than me. But I also wonder, how truthful are you being? Because most of the time, you're hiding resentment, you're hiding frustration, you're, you're hiding anger, you're hiding all these things, and that's unhealthy too. Because it begins to fester and eventually it's like a volcano and just all of a sudden erupts. And then you do a lot more damage than just dealing with a situation when it was small. Now, today what I want to do real quickly over the next few minutes is I want to give you a few keys and a, and a few ways that you can be more naked in your marriage or in future relationships that you may have in your future, your marriage relationship in your future. Number one is this, be vulnerable be vulnerable. Your wife, your husband, listen to me, that's your promised land. Praise God. But don't allow walls to be built up to keep your spouse out. Often we build up walls, though, though your spouse views you, should view you as, your, as their promised land, you build up walls and keep them out. And they've got to try to break down walls in whatever ways that they can. And I'm just encouraging us now, let's tear down the walls right now. Your wife, men, she should be your promised land. Amen. Overflowing with milk and honey. Bless God. After, <laughs> often that's a picture of us that we have walls up. But the good news, walls can come down quicker than they were built. Secret places are breeding grounds for exit strategies. 
and unhealthy behavior, lying, and more. Listen to me. Being naked is good in this area. Being naked in this area, being completely vulnerable, walls down, not hiding anything. It's freeing because I don't know about you, but maybe hopefully you don't deal with this too badly right now. If it is, maybe this will be freeing for you today. But probably I would almost guess everyone in this room at some point in time has lied and then kept a secret about something not to get in trouble. Anybody ever done that? Did anybody ever feel really bad after doing that? Some of you, if you didn't, we'll pray for you at the end of service, okay? It's because secrets are like weights. They weigh you down. There's this heaviness that you feel whenever you try to keep secrets. We try to hide stuff from your spouse. Listen to me. It, it will be like a weight on your marriage, on your relationship, and you'll feel like you're going nowhere. Secrets are like poison to intimacy. Secrecy begins to cloud decision-making. Because if we can get away with a lie here, and we can get away with a lie here, we in our flesh will push what else we can hide. How much further can I hide? How much more can I do to hide? Listen, I'm going to write this down. The level of your honesty will determine the level of your intimacy. Write it. You want to write it down? The level of your honesty. Now remember, this, that, like that principle right there is past marriage. If you want a good relationship with somebody, then be honest with them. Don't be fake. Too much fake going on. The level of your honesty will determine the level of your intimacy. Honesty, honesty is like a healing bond. What is revealed can be healed. You know, healing agents, uh, they don't always feel good at first, but they can b- bring a complete healing to infected areas. You know, um, you, whenever you maybe f- have fallen in your life and you, maybe you got a cut or something like that and you go get an alcohol wipe to clean up the wound, it doesn't necessarily feel good. I don't know if you like that. Some of you, I don't know, maybe you're like, yeah, shh. But listen, no, it hurts. It stings. You're like, ow, right? And it actually hurts almost more than the original pain that happened. But ultimately, what it does is it protects the open wound from getting even more infected for any infection that was there to be uh, cured out of it. Honesty is that way. Whenever we're honest, yeah, we did the hurt. We did. But actually fessing up to that and telling the truth brings healing a lot faster than if we hide it then it comes out down the road and then comes to light and then we have to explain it all away and then try to build back trust there's a long road that it takes so be honest in the beginning hold on i didn't put this down but you can think about this too if you want your children to be honest to you you be honest to your spouse don't expect your children to tell you the truth whenever you find them writing on the wall somewhere. Our son did that this week. Went in his room. Went in his other. He went, we went in his brother's room, and Reagan had gotten a pencil and decided to draw a big old smiley face on the wall. Went to Reagan and said, "Reagan, did you do this? No, no, no. Son, did you really do this? No, no. It's okay. I'm gonna check the security cameras. Okay, listen." We, we kind of have security. They have Amazon, like, you know, the Echo devices in the room. So I was like, we'll check security. He goes, okay, I did it. <laughs> but listen, and listen, me and Pastor Chelsea are very honest with, with each other. Probably sometimes to a fault. Uh, but, but, but what I'm saying is, what, if you want your children to be honest with you, you've got to be honest with them. You've got to tell them that you got to tell your children the truth, and you've got to tell your, your, your spouse the truth. You've got to talk to them and, and have truth in your family. Amen? Now, keep going. 
Naked honesty and vulnerability means you have nothing to hide from your spouse. That means this. Guess what? At any point in time, my spouse, because in today's age that we live in, this is normally where the, the, where infidelity and things like that, this is normally where it begins. Is we start, get connected with somebody, and then we can hide it easy here. Because you can delete stuff. There's all kinds of things you can do. My wife knows this. If she wants to see my phone at any point in time, just wondering about something, she can come pick it up. She wanted to come here right now. Take it, sit down, and start going through things. Okay, take it. I, it, I, I have nothing to hide. My computer, my iPad, all the things, everything. And likewise, the same goes with her. We have full access to each other's life because we didn't get married. And, and I, please understand me. I know there is, a, there is um, I'm trying to figure out the way to say this. There's a such thing as controlling. There's a difference between being honest and vulnerable and then someone who is controlling. And the two are very, very different. There's got to be a level of understanding of, yes, absolutely, you can look at anything. You're not going to control, but you can absolutely look at things. And so we have very, uh, it, but it, it means this, that your spouse has access key to your heart, to your mind, your hopes, your fears, your phones, your tablets, your computers, your text messages, all of it. You should be open and honest with each other on, amen? Naked honesty will not always be easy, but it will, and it, and it will take some courage to do. But when you tell the truth, it can be difficult or hard, but ultimately it's best from the both of you, amen? Now, I'll go to this real quickly, and then we're going to jump to the next one. I say this, a painful truth is always better than a hidden lie. And Proverbs 27, 6 actually encourages us in this. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Meaning, listen, your spouse, when they tell you the real truth, I don't know about you, sometimes it hurts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When, they, when you were mean, said something you shouldn't have, and your spouse goes, hey, that wasn't okay. Like, you can't talk that way to me. You can't talk that way to, your, to, to the kids. Listen, I'm not going to lie. I've been there, and Chelsea's told me, listen, that's not okay. You shouldn't have said that, blah, blah, and everything within me, you know. Because nobody likes being told, hey, you got to change. The scripture even just says right here, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It means sometimes it's going to hurt, but it's good for you. It's healthy for the relationship. Now, it doesn't mean you shame people and you're mean and rude all the time, but it means you tell the truth in love, and if, if, if the truth in love hurts or offends, listen, that probably means there's things in their life they need to adjust and change a little bit. Secrets are like, a building, are like building your marriage on a faulty foundation. Now, next thing we're going to talk about real quickly is naked in communication. Naked in communication. Ephesians 4, talking about speaking in love, says this, for Ephesians 4.15, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. We need to be naked in communication. I promise you, everything in your marriage, every problem in your marriage, if you have them, will come back to communication. Everything. It's, it, it all comes back. Communication is one of the biggest things you have to work on in your marriage. And guess what? You consistently have to be intentional in that area too because guess what? Communication changes. People change whether you like to believe it or not. You do. You change the way your needs change. Anybody ever done the um, love languages quiz in here? Married or not married, doesn't matter. Anybody? I, it's amazing how much ours, even Pastor Chelsea and I, they've changed over the past few years. And it used to be that hers was touch. 
now it's one of the lowest ones that she's got. And I was, I became Mr. Touchy and was like, yes, I love you. I love you. Rub your arms, rub your back. Okay, I love you, love you. And now she's like, can you just stop touching me for a little bit and just tell me I'm amazing? Because it became words of affirmation. And, um, and acts of service. Will you clean the, the kitchen and make me a, a, a sandwich and then clean the kitchen again, please? Thank you, right? Uh, because everything, you, you, you change as a human, you do. You evolve. Listen, the per- I've heard people say things like this. You're not the person I married. And I've said that probably. Well, good. <laughs> like, it's good to change. It's good to grow. Now, if the person is going on the decline, then let's, let's rearrange and let's, let, let's bring that ship back to where it needs to be going. But listen, we, we're supposed to change. We're supposed to grow. It's a good thing to change and to grow. The top four leading causes of divorce are this. Sex, money, religion, which means uh, value systems. Not necessarily just Christianity, but values just in general. And the fourth one is communication. But what's interesting is if you can fix communication, you can fix your sex life. You can fix your money problems. And you can fix your value problems if you can fix communication but you got to be able to work fix communication before you can fix the others because you can't communicate about the others until you can communicate healthily so communication is a huge thing if you can succeed in communication the other things can can um, succeed as well now believe it or not your spouse does not know everything you're thinking and likewise spouses just remember this your spouse doesn't know everything you're thinking. We, we, we like, the, we like the, 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 you know, I don't know everything you're thinking from the, from the defensive side. Well, I don't know everything you're thinking. But one thing that we've got to do on the other side of that, as the offender, if you will, we've got to remember that whenever they don't do something that we wanted them to do, unless we communicate, and listen, I'm guilty of this, so I'm, I'm standing up here guilty, if we don't communicate first what we're desiring, they don't know to do what you're desiring. So it's a two-way street. It's communication. We must communicate. Amen? Just talking is not communication, though. I can go and talk to that wall right there, and we could have a great conversation. I'm pretty, I, I, I'm, I'm decent at talking, and I could probably, and my son, Levi, he loves to talk. We, he gets in trouble, and he goes to his room, and he talks to himself when he's in trouble. He, he talks, and you can talk and talk, but that's not communication. Communication's two ways. Listen to me. I will say this, though. Men specifically are bad at this. Nonverbal communication is still a form of communication. Your actions speak a lot louder than your words. When your wife is trying to talk to you about her day and you're, what are you, a caveman? Like, me no no, no words. Like, amazing. You could talk at work to that guy about guns and God and country, but whenever you get home to your spouse and she says, hey, baby, my day was rough today. Listen to me. Men, learn to communicate. Learn to talk. You got more than uh, grunts and just sitting there with your arms crossed and your lazy boy chilling. A lazy boy's even still a thing. I don't know. That's just what my dad's always said. I got that straight from him. But nonverbal communication is still communication. And I want you to hear this for those. How many got young kids in the house? Anybody got young kids? We got, we got three and a teenager right now. And um, sometimes, listen to me. I understand we can make up all the excuses as to why we can't do things 
And for, for, for people who have young kids in their house, your excuse is, well, our kids are always around. So put them to bed at an earlier time. Tell them to go to the room, play with some toys so you can have a conversation. Like, listen to me. You need to have conversation with one another st- still. It's amazing how many times, did you know that actually the average um, a length of time and the most popular time to get a divorce in, in, in marriage is at the seven-year mark? Seven-year mark, it's it, where difficulty is really set in. Think about that for a second. You're married for a few years. You decide to have kids. Now you've got young kids in the house. That's often, this, we've seen this a lot, at least in the church. We've seen this. And what happens is you forget how to communicate to, with one another. You forget how to do life together. You don't date each other anymore. You don't even hardly look at each other anymore. Yeah, I understand. You may not look like you used to. You might have put on a little bit of weight, and you might actually act a little bit different. But listen, you've got to carve time out for your, for your marriage and for uh, each other, amen? Because communication, you've got to get rid of distractions and actually give each other your full attention. You have to be intentional. And I've heard it said, and I've said this before, but don't make a mountain out of a molehill. The problem is if you don't make, if you don't deal with the molehill, it becomes a mountain. So you got to deal with things as they begin to arise. I'm not saying throw a tantrum because they put the toilet paper on wrong. Just fix it and move on with your day, right? And there is a right and a wrong way, by the way, okay? Good thing is we're in unity in our household. It goes on one way, it goes down, right? Rolling this way. If you pull from the back, I'm praying for you because that's not the way the Lord made it (laughs) you got to have healthy communication talk to talk together men you got to break that hard shell of manhood and toxic masculinity that many of us have been told especially in the south we have to have you know Jesus was a tender-hearted man says Jesus numerous times Jesus was moved with compassion Pastor Charles talked about it some last week. When Lazarus died, it says Jesus wept, cried over Lazarus. Jesus was tenderhearted. Jesus communicated too. Stop being that hard shell guy like I've got it all together and I'll just figure it out and I'll punch dance my rage out somewhere, you know. Like, like I'm going to go shoot a gun, make me feel better, honey. No, talk to your wife. Talk to your spouse. She's there for you. She should be. And women, men need you to be there for them too. Amen. I'm thankful that Pastor Chelsea, she's there for me. Matter of fact, I'll give a little truth about myself. Um, a couple weeks ago, whew, I was having a tough day, y'all. I was. I was again, I'm not perfect. I was having a tough day. She was just telling me, she's, what's wrong? What's wrong? Nothing, nothing, nothing. I sat down with her for a second. She continued to talk to me, and I, saw, I just started talking to her about how I've been feeling, just feeling really heavy and just a lot going on. We're really busy. And I began to cry right there. And I'm thankful that I have a spouse that is there. So I say that to say, women, make sure you're there for your husband too. Whenever he does say, t- want to share his heart and he's de- feeling with, dealing with a lot on his plate. And, and it's not, listen to me, it's not a comparison time. It's a time to listen and love. A lot of times we're really bad about when people start expressing stuff. To me. Well, I'm so glad you have that going on. Well, I have this going on. They, they, your spouse doesn't want to hear about what all you have going on right then. Okay, That's the time to listen and be there for them and love them. And say, how can we work together to make this better? How, what, what can we do to help this? Amen? Now, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Men, don't be calloused. Be compassionate. You have feelings, and it is okay to have feelings, men. I want you all to remember this. You're on the same team, not opposite teams. Always make sure to compliment. Communication is, 
is more than talking about the issues. It's giving thanks and talking about your day and showing care and interest in your spouse. It's more than just talking about the problem. It's also praising the things that have been going good and giving thanks to your spouse for all the incredible things that they've been doing. We're really good about being cynical. We're not very good at being grateful. And I think in marriages, you'll find that your marriage and just relationships in general, relationships will get a lot stronger if you'll learn to be grateful rather than so cynical all the time. Communication is intimacy. Now let's move on to the next thing real quickly. Y'all still with me this morning? Get something out of this. Just stay with me for a little longer. Naked disagreements. We need to be naked when we disagree. Now, if you need to be naked, like literally, that's fine, but that's not what I mean. Maybe it'll help you. Lock yourself in the room. All right, let's disagree. Whew, I can't disagree no more. <laughs> it's okay to disagree. That's how we grow, everyone. I think we hear naked disagreeers, and, and we think we're justified in whatever we think about the situation, and that, uh, uh, and that disagreement is okay because I see it my way, and that's not okay either. Your disagreement has to be done correctly, or disagreement turns into shaming. Scripture says this, the naked and they felt no shame. Why they feel no shame? Because they weren't looking at each other and going, ooh, I don't like that, I don't like that, nope. You know, being bitey and, and things like that with each other. They were open, they were naked, they felt no shame. Doesn't mean you don't ever deal with anything, but it means whenever there is a mess up, you don't go to shaming them. Why well, I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe you would think that way. And listen to me. Once again, I'm going to say this a lot of times this morning. I have been guilty of these things before. I want you to hear me today. But it does, just because you've been guilty of something doesn't mean that it's right. Let's work on doing better at what is right. Amen? Now, we've got to be careful that we don't attack whenever we disagree. If you begin to attack and you're ill with your words, take a step back, regroup, and find a healthier way to communicate and deal with the situation. And listen to me. One of you may, need to, may be wrong, and you may need to admit it. But like Pastor Chelsea talked about last week, some of it's perspective. I'll do this again for those of you who aren't here. What do you see right now? As I put my hand out, you see the, what, what part of my hand do you see? You see the palm of my hand. But I see the backside of my hand. I see my fingernails. I see my knuckles. I see this part of my hand, and you see the other. It is impossible right now for us to see the same thing together at the same time. We have got to show each other our perspectives of where we are at and then from there find middle ground to go forward and help one another. And that means this, you've got to be somebody who pursues peace, not just pursues being right. And sometimes that's hard. It's very hard. But listen, the scripture tells in Philippians 2, 3, says this, says to consider one another above yourself. If there's one person in your life you should consider above yourself, it's your spouse. Amen. You, you should always consider your spouse amongst, I mean, above yourself. And listen, sometimes in disagreements, you need people to help you. Hebrews 6.12 says this, Follow those who faith and patience inherit the promise. James 5 and 16, Therefore confess your sins one to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Okay? So there's different scriptures that show us that sometimes we need people in our life to help us in the middle of disagreements. Pastor Chelsea and I have been in situations and disagreements where we have had to call on help. We had counselors for a long time in our marriage, in our life. And uh, Pastor Paul and Eva Magoe, Pastor Eva's went on to be with the Lord since then. And... Um, you know, we have, we have other people, though, that we allow to speak into our marriage, into our relationship, have we, if we ever come to that, th- that situation again, like pastors Ken and Trudy Blunt and other people. But you know who I don't call? My dad. Because it's wrong. It's toxic to call your family, your aunt, your uncle, your mama, mama's boys. Don't call your mama whenever your wife isn't treating you the way you want her to be treated, okay? 
Call somebody who can give you some counseling and some help because this is what happens. Your spouse, your spouse's family now begins to view everything they do through your complaints that you've given to them and now they no longer respect your spouse the way they should. When you have issues, don't call your family. It's toxic and it's wrong and it should not be done. If you've done it before, listen, I don't want you to feel ashamed of it, but I want you to change that because that's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for your spouse because then your family begins to be demeaning and they use harsh words towards them and so on and so forth. Amen? Lastly, in disagreement, say this, pick your battles. Do you really want to fight over HGTV or ESPN? No. Men, just watch some HGTV if that's what she likes or whatever it is that she likes. Some of you are like, what's HGTV? Because we don't do cable because it's too expensive. And I feel that, okay? I got a couple streaming services and I'm stopping there. Right? But it's not worth arguing over some little things like that. Oh, and my dad, he always talks about this and I'll bring up one of his flaws. He, um, my mom likes to keep things very clean. She's very cleanly. My dad is very cleanly too. But if there's water spilt out on the counter, maybe any other ladies like this, my dad will wash his hands at the sink, and naturally the, the, the little sink thing's up here, the, the, is up here, so whenever he goes after washing and turns the water off, he hits it, and it splashes all over the countertop, right? And he's not always the best at wiping the countertop after he does that. And there have been times where there have been disagreements that I've been privy to over who did that and why the counter isn't wiped. And they've joked about it even in front of me too that it's not really worth arguing over though. There's some things in life that just are not worth arguing over and takes you two seconds to pick that rag up and do that real quickly. Pastor Chelsea and I have been through things like that as well. Sometimes there's just, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. Amen? Anyways, you learn to let it go. Be like Elsa. Let it go. Always pursue peace. I'll say it like this. Don't die on the mountain. Work together to create peace to get off the mountain. Together. Some of us want to die on the mountain of I'm right when it's better to pursue peace so you can be in unity to go down the mountain and continue on what God's called you to do. Amen? Now, some of y'all are going to like this. We're going to talk about it really fast. Y'all still with me? I promise you I'm, I'm bringing it to a close. Let's talk about naked sex because clothed sex can be difficult. First Corinthians chapter 7, there's scripture for this, what I'm about to talk about, okay? I'm going to let y'all know, I'm not just talking about it to talk about it. Listen to me, we, we get really weird about talking about this subject in church. Like, why would you talk about that in church? Well, that's because we as humans have to deal with that. And for some reason, the school can talk about it, that's fine. The TV, yeah, I can talk about it. Movies, Sure. But the church, you better keep your mouth shirt, shirt, shut about this. The church, part of the problem that we have so many sexual issues that are going on is because the church did shut its mouth about it for so long. And we went super hyper purity movement and we messed kids. Uh, well, um, We messed with kids' minds and told them they even had a thought about sex, that they were dirty, wrong, and going straight to H-E double hockey sticks and going to be there with the devil, okay? Listen to me. What I want to say is this. There is a healthy way that we need to teach this stuff in the church. And listen, in our church, as long as we have consent from you, because we would not do without consent, but eventually with our youth, we will teach on this stuff in a healthy way. Because listen to me, if your kid has any form of social media, they're getting plenty of unhealthy versions of it. 
Plenty. If they watch any movies, any television shows, they're getting plenty of it. But all of a sudden, shh, Susie, don't listen. They're talking about sex today. Know that we need to hear this. First Corinthians, Corinthians, Corinthians 7, verses 3 and 4 says this. The husband shall fulfill his marital duty to his wife, likewise the wife to her husband. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Now, I want you to hear me. That doesn't mean that they can just do with you whatever they want, okay? But it means that you will give yourself to each other. You'll give your, so you can know one another in a greater way. Sex should be one of the most intimate and fun moments in your marriage. Sex is a gift from God for biblically defined married couples that is meant to be enjoyed. It's not a dirty thing. It's God designed, created, and given. God, men, get ready to shout. God wants you to have sex with your spouse. He made Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful, bless God. Be fruitful and multiply. You know how fruitfulness and multiplication happen? Let me just take you to school for a second. There's the birds and the bees. Yeah, that's what happens. Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, he said, Adam and Eve, go do it and have babies. God wants you to have sex with your spouse. Sex is about serving each other, not just about getting yours. It's, a, it's an act of service towards one another. It should be. I'll read that from the message real quickly. The same scripture. The marriage, med must, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a space to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. It's not talking about just the random places you might do it. It's talking about serving each other with sex and just in love and caring about one another. Men, you might want to hear this one, okay? It's for you. If you want to be served in the bedroom, you better serve outside the bedroom. Bless God. If you, if you want to have sex, then you got to learn how to do foreplay, chore play, and more play. You got, you, got, you got to learn what this is. I'm not talking about anything nasty or wrong. It's the text that you send to your spouse to let them know how much you love them. It is, it's the going behind just giving a hug and a kiss. These things build intimacy. I'll say it like this. My dad used to say it like this. It's a microwave, not a crock. I mean, it's a crock pot, not a microwave. I took that and I said, because I like barbecue, it is a slow smoked meat. It is not liquid smoke and nuked in the microwave all right that's gross don't do that you ruin good barbecue those things though don't, don't just lay down in bed and expect it put forth effort in your marriage be intentional with one another it's everything you do it's a loving text it's touching each other when you see one another embracing each other kissing conversations conversations are intimacy you can find ways to connect which creates intimacy and desire for each other. Women, men want to feel respected. If you want him to do what he needs to do in the bedroom and outside the bedroom, then learn how to respect your husband properly. Because men desire respect. That's just how men are. You aren't his mom, you're his wife. I'm not saying don't ever expect from him or mention if something's wrong. 
But, this, but I am saying is be careful how you say it and don't get on to every little thing that he does. Listen, when someone respects you, you want to be around them more, right? You want to be, for, be there for them more. The same thing goes for your husband. Sex should be selfless, not selfish. It should not be self-seeking. It means you take care of your spouse in bed. Sex drive is not a dirty thing. It's a very powerful thing. Sex drive is a very powerful thing. But this is the thing. Listen to me. Used incorrectly can cause destruction and devastation for you and your spouse. Think about cars. Cars are powerful, right? They're powerful things. There's instructions and courses that we have to take on how to use those vehicles. But if you use, you can, you can use cars to help people. Thank you, Uber and Lyft and DoorDash. Or you can use cars to intentionally harm people. So it's not a matter of, is it powerful or not? Sex drive is a powerful thing. But it's a matter of it's got to be put in its right place and used appropriately. And how it is used appropriately is between a husband and a wife together in marriage covenant, knowing each other. It's a, sex is a weapon against the enemy because sex and intimacy creates closeness. And men, you ought to have the hots for your wife. And wives, you ought to have the hots for your husband. Amen? And listen to me. Don't just have the hots. Make it evident. My kids are grossed out by me already, and I'm okay with it. Olivia is too. Our niece. I'll go up behind and give Chelsea a hug or kiss. And, like, I'll say how pretty Chelsea is and how much I just love her and think she's good looking, you know. And my kids too. Reagan, though, Reagan's the only one that's not grossed out by it. Reagan tries to get in between us and say, no, that's my wife. No, son, it's your mom. Back off. I loved her first. Oh, Lord. Sorry. <laughs> mm, I don't even like the song. But anyways. Uh, we should make that evident that we, we love our spouse, we care about them, that we enjoy seeing them. And listen, no matter how you feel about your spouse, your spouse, I promise you, finds you a lot hard, hotter than you do. They have a lot more attraction towards you than you do. You look in the mirror and you see all your imperfections. Your spouse looks at you and goes, whew, glory to God, he did make a good thing. Right? And that's, that's a good thing. We should be that way. God doesn't desire that people of the church have dead beds. But rather, Christians should have great sex life because remember, it was created for marriages that are respected and, and honored by God. That's who God made sex for. So we should have that whenever we're in that marriage covenant in a, uh, between a husband and a wife. It's a holy place. It should be undefiled, but it should be a place where we can have fun with each other too. It shouldn't be boring, and it's not a sin to be more than a missionary. But we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> the end we're going to move on now to this last point right here it says this we got naked purpose together all these things build to our naked purpose with one another just like you have a purpose as a person your marriage does too God didn't create two people with purpose just to come together to have no purpose your marriage has a purpose for the earth Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. God desires to impact the world 
desires to impact families and people around us through the power of our families and our marriages. The Bible talks about how one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. My dad used to always say this, look at your spouse and tell them this, you're worth nine thousand to me. Because one could put a thousand to flight, but whenever you're together in unity, working together in the purposes and calling of God, we can put ten thousand to flight. You can work together. However, in order to be fruitful and make an impact, we have, we have to, we must take time to do that. But in the, way, the only way to do that is to actually invest in us. You know, if you start a business, before you see the fruit of money come in, there's what? There's time, there's effort, there's resources you've got to pour into it. All these things you have to pour into it. And then from there, you'll begin to see the fruit. There's, in other words, there's an investment. Often we want fruitful marriages, but rarely want to slow our schedules down enough to actually invest in us. And I'll be honest with you, I was chief center of this area for a while. And it was actually Pastor Chelsea because I'm mean, listen, we got to slow down. We got we got to we got to take time for ourselves. And I'm thankful that she did that because about five years ago we went on our first trip without our kids. Um, we went to Atlanta, Georgia, just us two for a few days. And it was incredible to actually get to reconnect without children. For those of you young kids in your family, listen, there are times that you need just for you too, amen? You need that time to reconnect with one another. But that means you're going to have to slow everything else down a little bit just to invest in us. Now we make it a point to at least two times a year take two different trips that are just us, whether it's a one-night thing or a seven nights, whatever it is. We're going to take time to invest in this and actually have time with one another and actually love one another, talk to each other, and grow in connection. I promise you, I'm coming too close. Stay with me. But it means we got to prune our schedules. Galatians 6 teaches us this. Whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. It means this. If I sow into my marriage, guess what? I'm going to reap fruit in my marriage. So it means date your spouse. Do fun things. And sow into it. But unfortunately, often this is what we do. We sow into this. We sow into that. And our marriages and families get the leftovers. Priorities should be God spouse, I'm going to say it again because some of y'all didn't hear that, God, spouse, kids, and then everything else. Oftentimes, though, our priorities more look like everything else, kids, spouse, God. We literally flip it completely. We go, my work, my kids' sports, my coaching, my uh, 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 cheerleading, whatever they do. Are they, I don't know if they're called cheerleading coaches. I don't know. All the, my dance instructing, whatever it is, you know, it, it's all this, my garden, all this stuff. Now I'm going to take some time. I, I've, I've given all of that to that. Now I'm going to take some time for my kids. Hey, kids, I love you so much. And then it's like, oh, here, babe. And do we have to go to church today? And we need to flip the script on that because it should be we're going to church together. Well, then we're going to take time for ourselves, just us two some. And you know what, kids? We're also going to take time for, for us as a family, too, to find those evenings where we're going to have family movie night and different things like that. And then everything else will happen. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, is what the Scripture says. But let's do that. Let's put our priorities in proper order. Let's not be people just saying, I wish. Let's actually do that. Amen. Miss Donald, will you come play? God holds all of this together though. We talked about it in the first week. If you sow into your relationship with God first, all the other things begin to fall into place. I'm the vine. You are the branches is what the scripture says. But when you do all of it together, there's synergy. 
Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply. That's still God's purposes for marriages today, to be fruitful and multiply. And guess what? You can't be fruitful and multiply by yourself. You need your spouse to be fruitful and to multiply. We're talking about purpose. I'm not talking about just children. I'm talking about your purpose. When you get married, you need your spouse to be on the same team, to work with each other, to really be fruitful and purpose in your marriage. If you have kids, multiply what you have learned and the legacy that you've begun into them. That's being fruitful and multiply. Create a place for them to launch from together. My dad always said this. It was always, it's always been his desire to see his children, for basically for him to create a launching pad for his children to go even further and do more with their lives, their marriages, their ministry, whatever God calls them to do, than what he ever did. That should be the heart of us as well. That Listen, we're going to work together, baby. Me and you. We got kids now. We're going to make sure this is strong because I want to create something for my kids to see, to value and go, I want that in my marriage. I want that in my family moving forward. I, I want like what mom and dad had in this. I want that in mine. That doesn't mean they're going to want everything just like yours. That's okay. What I am saying is, if you do it right, you can create things that they can look up to, that they can value. Listen, maybe you can't have kids or don't have them in your house anymore. That doesn't mean you don't have purpose. You sow into spiritual sons and daughters. If you're single... Sow into spiritual sons and daughters. If you're a single mom, sow into your own sons and daughters. Single dad, sow into your own sons and daughters. You can still be fruitful and multiply. Share within the wisdom and the lessons that you've learned. Your purpose as individuals and moreover as a couple, though, is to serve each other and serve others just as Jesus came to serve us. We fix our marriages, our friendships, our lives, our impact, and our purpose in the world becomes more fruitful. I'm going to come back to this as the title of the whole series. And I said this earlier, but I'll say this about any relationships. And I think Pastor Chelsea may have said something along this line last week. Is that your relationships will never be as healthy as you are. You've got to be healthy first. You've got to know how to communicate first. You've got to know how to love first. You've got to know how to give grace first. Don't expect people to be something that you won't be for others. But rather show forth what you want in the earth. Show forth what you want in your relationships. Show forth what you want in your marriages. And then from that, I believe, as we work on ourselves, don't blame your spouse for your problems. You're your own problems. Fix, perfect that which concerns you. Fix those things that may be out of line in your life. And I believe that as we do that, we can create greater impact in our communities, from our community to our city, to our city, to our state, to our state, to our nation, to the nations of the earth. But it's got to start here. It's got to start at home. And then from there, it begins to spread out from there. Amen. Will you stand to your feet this morning? I know this message was a little bit different today, and it wasn't... This, this series was not necessarily as much of that, I understand what I say this, Jesus came to save, heal, and deliver. We believe that 100% here at this church, you hear it a lot. We wanted to work on some things though in us. And what this series does is it helps you become a greater witness that Jesus comes to save, heal, and deliver. That's what it does. In this room this morning, most of you already know Jesus saves, heals, and delivers. We know how great he is. Now, how can we show forth the goodness of God in the earth? Work on your relationship, but not 
because of them because you got stuff you got to work on. How many say, Pastor, I got some things I need to work on this morning. You know, I think, I think all of us in this room can say there's some things in our life we need to work on. And guess what? Even once you're working on it, you're probably not going to be done next week. You're probably not going to be. It's, it's a continuous thing that you have to work on. You have to work on yourself to grow, to example Jesus to the world. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for your people. Thank you for this word today. We receive this word. We say yes and amen. Let it be so in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you're correcting and changing things so that we can become a greater witness. Lord, we just pray for every marriage in this room today, every family in this room. I thank you, Lord, that division is broken off households, off marriages, off families now. I thank you that unity, unity in homes, whether it's single mother, single father, or married couple, I just decree and I declare unity in households. I decree and I declare that you are there with them in the midst of every storm. I thank you, God, you help us. You help us learn how to communicate with each other better so that we can grow stronger in our marriages, grow stronger in unity, grow stronger with our families. So, Lord, we just thank you that let our families, let our marriages and our families be a testimony of your goodness. Let our marriages and our household and our families be a testimony of how great you are and that we'll go into all the world, Father, and that we'll minister your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your salvation power because we are connected to you. We're working on our relationship with you first and then, Lord, all these other things follow after. So, Lord, we thank you right now for who you are, what you've done, and what you're doing. In Jesus' name, everybody said...